Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We have a great guest today. We are going to be talking with Chris Mefford, who has co-authored a book with Kyle Bucket, a Navy SEAL, who uh, they just wrote this book on leadership, and it's titled Leadership is Overrated, How the Navy SEALs Create Self-Leading Teams That Win. And we're going to take all of this, apply it to the customer service and experience space. Before we get into the interview, uh, you know we have a couple of quick announcements. If you've listened to the show before, if you've got an amazing story that you want to share or a question that you want to ask, please reach out to me on any of my social media channels. You know what they are. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and more. And if it is a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll answer the questions you send in, and I might do it right there in the in the social media platform, I might do it in my newsletter, the Shepherd Letter. I might do it on this show or perhaps my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home. And you can find episodes on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Prime, the C-Suite Network, and even on YouTube. Just go to BeAmazing.tv. That's BeAmazing.tv. All right, let's get into our interview. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. We're going to be talking about your new book, Leadership is Overrated, How the Navy Seals and Successful Businesses Create Self-Leading Teams That Win. So first of all, I'm going to make a prediction. The book's coming out right about the time this episode is released. I predict just with the title, Leadership is Overrated. Right away, that catches me. Okay, what does that mean? And you know, the fact that Navy Seals are involved, you're the co-author with Kyle Bucket. And uh, the two of you have written this fantastic book, and we're going to kind of take it to the angle of how we treat the people internally as leaders is the way they're going to treat uh, customers on the outside of the company. What's happening on the inside is felt by the customer. So, Chris, I'm excited. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and, and why you decided to write this book with a Navy SEAL. Well, I'll tell you, well, first off, Kyle and I met. Um, at a business conference breakfast. Uh, I showed up, there was only one seat. Um, I ended up sitting next to him. I had just moved out here to San Diego. And Wait, so is the reason nobody was sitting next to him is it because they knew what he did and they were scared? No, to, be, to Kyle's <laughs> credit, I didn't know what he did until after our second meeting. Um, we started talking about marketing and business and he said he liked marketing and we should grab coffee. And so we grabbed coffee and he was, Actually, at that point, I you know I discovered he was getting ready to transition out. He was about a year and a half from retirement at that point. Um, and we met again. The second time I followed up with him and said, let's grab lunch. And then he told me, because he told me he was in the Navy, but he didn't really say what he did. As you learn, you know, people who are really in the special forces rarely tell you what they do immediately. And then, you know, he's like, I'm special forces of a Navy SEAL. And we just started a friendship. And I said, you know, the Navy SEALs have always fascinated me. I said, not for typically what everyone else is completely fascinated with, you know, your your tough nature and, and the missions you take on. But I'm fascinated by how you create a culture that's so sustainable, that's world-class, that everyone thinks is amazing and knows is amazing. And how do you get people in? How do you keep that culture high? How do you keep the bad bad people out? I mean, it surely can't just be one week of hell that you put people through. And we started having this discussion and, you know, he started asking me questions. You know, you worked at a great couple of great companies that have been voted best place to work. 
you know, what is it you guys do that that does the same? And I was like, you know, this is this is good stuff. We should we should do a book around this kind of thing. And that's that's how it all ended up. That's how and now met. you are partners in a consulting firm, Culture Force, uh, helping yep. companies create the culture that is probably somewhat emulating that Navy SEAL culture. Yes. You know, well, we don't we don't put people through uh, surf training and, um, you know, we don't fire guns off in the middle of the night to keep them sharp. But, you know, there is a, uh, there you is don't a make sense. them swim till they're almost dead and yeah, then bring them back it. to life. <laughs> no, no. Kyle has a great story. I'll share. He's like, I joined the Navy SEALs because I loved water and I wanted to be around that and shoot guns. And I ended up spending 20 years in the desert um, through his campaign. You know, saying I ran. Um, but, but yeah, no, we help companies come around and figure it out. I worked for companies that were not considered best places to work. And I was always like, man, do, do the people here know it doesn't have to be this way? You can you can change up just a few things in the entire culture of the organization, the vibe, the energy of the place will shift immediately. And yet we, you know, we go to work and we just have this expectation. The boss is a jerk because every, my, every, all my friends work for jerks. My family all work for jerks. Um, and maniacal uh, leaders, and that's just the way it is. And I'm just a cog in this wheel, and so I go into work every day. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. Chef, the one thing I want to bring out in this book that Kyle and I were adamant about is we don't want to write another book on culture, on leadership. We want to talk to you about the specific financial losses that are involved when companies don't thrive and don't put intentionality towards you know, creating a safe place for their team to feel engaged, empowered, and to work at their peak. And the financial cost is tremendous. And so every some examples. Yeah. Yeah. Every single chapter in this book is tied to the finances. When we talk about empathy, we say, hey, you know, empathy is a billion dollar industry that's lost every year when you demotivate your team. When we talk about service, you know, here's what's lost. When we talk about you having a workforce that's not engaged, here's what's lost. And we pull the numbers together. We pull revenues together. We pull examples together. And we'd like to tell lots of stories. We were both pretty sure we didn't want to write a book where we just talk about, you know, what he and I have been through, which is definitely woven in there. But we've got stories in there from Mother Teresa to Aretha Franklin to 19th century explorers to Icelandic soccer. Um, You know, we wanted to make it a really interesting read, a, a good book that people thought was a fascinating read, but also very useful. All right. I'm a music guy. Uh, Aretha Franklin, share with me the story. Entice our listeners to want to go out and buy this book. Sure. Before Aretha really, really hit a big, um, everyone knew she had a big voice and she had married her husband and they had set wicked up a guy. time. Wicked yes, guy. Wicked yeah. guy, definitely. And, you know, the story relates to that. She had scheduled time in the studio and the studio director and her husband got in a fight. So the guy who's trying to run the studio where Aretha Franklin and her musicians are trying to create amazing music is in a fight with Aretha Franklin's husband who got drunk that night and yelled at the studio guy because they weren't doing it the way he wanted it. And the studio guy said, it's my studio. And so they shut the production down. They showed up the next day. There was no note on the door that said um, studio closed. So Aretha got her band together and they went to New York without her husband and without the studio manager. And they started to create music that was obviously Aretha Franklin-esque, world-class. And, you know, and it was when we let leaders get their egos involved, you prevent your team from creating magical music and, and coming together to create world-class stuff. And when our egos are involved and, and leaders get in the way, sometimes 
there, everything gets broken. And there's a lot of organizations out there who say, I mean, I wish I could figure this out. And yet they're the problem. The truth of the matter is statistically about 70% of the people in the workforce surveyed, whether they're in England or whether they're in um, Idaho, say that they're disengaged at the office. Yes. But the truth of the matter is 30% of bosses only feel that way. So 70% of bosses feel like their team's fully engaged. So they There's don't think gap. they're the problem. Yeah. And that gap is something that could kill you. We, By the way, we have same types of measurements of executives saying they provide great customer service. And when you go out to their customers and ask them the same question, this huge gap is like, no, they don't says the customer. Uh, and there's probably many times a 60, 70% gap uh, from what uh, reality is versus what leaders believe. And I think what you say is so crucial. And two things that you say, number one is, uh, you know, you, the number in your head is not reality. Okay. So go get the real numbers and make your decisions based on raw and real data. And the second thing is, to your point, the ego is so important. I had an employee here that I offended, didn't realize I offended her. And we talked about it. She was ready to quit over this. And I think it was, I believe, a total misunderstanding and her blowing it completely out of proportion. Uh, because when I talked to uh, my wife, who was also part of that meeting, she had no idea what I was referring to. But you know what? I offended an employee. I felt I needed to fix this. So I brought her in at the end of the day. I said, what do I need to do to make this right for us? That, number one, was something that surprised her. Number two, when she said, you know what? You've said you're sorry to me. I want you to say you're sorry to the rest of your team. Well, the problem is the rest of the team probably didn't think I did anything wrong. But you know what I did? I said, tomorrow morning, we're going to have an early morning. I'll come out. We'll talk. And I will mention that if for some reason I have offended anybody with the comment that was made, I still don't believe it was offensive, <laughs> but that's okay. I said, I will, right there, I will say I'm sorry. And she goes, you would do that? Yeah. And she tested me. I did. And guess what? She was surprised as could be. Uh, I think she really was seeing where she could go with me. Uh, and the limit that I would get go to, to make her feel, to your to use your words, completely connected to our company. And I would say, Shep, what you did there that was right and it sort of reinforces the premise of our book is even with Aretha Franklin, the concept is leadership is overrated. Those leaders were the problem. They get in the way. We we elevate leaders. We tell them they're in charge and then we give them no training or we don't develop it or they're not. They're just terrible. And so those leaders were in the way. But what you did is the second part of what we really focus on is we don't give enough credit to the team. We always tell the leader they're amazing, but we rarely tell the team they are. And I can tell you, I can prove this to you by when you asked uh, Boston Consulting did a survey of 200,000 workers across the globe and said, hey, what motivates you the most at work? Pay was number eight. Number eight, not seven, not six, not five, not four, number eight. Number one was acknowledgement. The mm. team is desperate. They're so desperate to be acknowledged. Thank you for coming in. Good job today on that project. You know, we think we have to save that for the when they finish the one project we've given them for the year or the six months or the month. And then we might tell them, thanks for working. Thanks. Good job on that. Maybe most leaders do. And so the reality is they get disengaged because they're, they don't feel appreciated. And what you did even though you were like, maybe this is this is unique, is we, you broke that leadership mold and say, hey, the team is more important than me. The team hearing me apologize is more important than me feeling whether 
deciding whether this is an accurate statement or not. It doesn't matter. It's the team that needs to feel empowered. The Navy SEALs have this great thing that they do is they practice killing the leader. Actually, we were going to call our book Killing the, Kill the Leader. Oh, um, talk about another <laughs> provocative title. Um, but it, but we were had to pick the title just as January 6th was happening. Um, and they were storming the castle and Harper, our publisher, was like, oh, oh yeah, we, don't, that, that we just, do not uh, think that's um, a good strategy. So we, we made it chapter one. But um, and by the way, leader. for those in the uh, other part of the world that are wondering what's January 6th, that was when uh Basically, our president, who was going out of office, said no. Um, th- th- there was a riot, basically, at the White House. Many people arrested. Many years of, in, of of prison time being spent for the ones that said no. We're going to try to overthrow the new government, and uh, it was great. That's the easiest way to explain it. So, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely not the right time to suggest kill the leader for a title. <laughs> yeah. But we made a chapter one, and the premise is this. Um, the Neils don't, the SEALs rather, don't often pick the leader of the mission as the highest ranking officer. Sometimes they do for sure, but it's usually the person with the most experience pertaining to what they're, what they need to do or where they're going to go. And, and, and then in that process of training, they will come up to you, Shep, if you're leading and say, Hey, Shep is a leader of this mission. He just got, di- he just got shot three minutes in. What do we do now? It's three hours into the mission. It's three days into the mission. Shep is dead. What do we do now? And so they practice the team coming around and saying, do you know what the roles are? Do you know how to move on from here? Do you know how to fix it? And so they they practice, one, removing the leader, and two, then helping the team understand how they're empowered now to make decisions, move things forward, to make sure that the mission continues to get accomplished. And so many leaders... We see they go on vacation, the whole thing comes apart. You know, they transition out, the whole company falls apart. You know, they just haven't trained anyone to step up, mostly because of arrogance, because they feel like no one else could do it the way I do it or be as innovative as the way I am innovative, um, et cetera. Sure, that's the case. You know, Apple's a good example of this. Uh, you know, the, the innovative founder dies. And they moved Tim Cook in, who's now made that company the most, the richest company in the world, billions and billions of dollars. He did it by focusing on software and growth in that area. You know, who's to argue who was better? You know, and Tim Cook probably came along at the right time. Yeah, I around. love this uh, idea. Know your role and recognize, you know, uh, the, the leader, if the leader walks away, then what happens? The customer doesn't need to know if the leader went away. Right. Uh, they just need to know uh, they the employees need to know what they need to do and feel good about doing it and feel good about be, taking part and being their own personal leaders for that matter. Hey, let's take a quick break. The book that we're talking about, by the way, just a reminder is leadership is overrated. How the Navy SEALs and successful companies create self-leading teams that win by Kyle Bucket and Chris Mefford. Chris is our guest and we've got more. Don't go away. We'll be right back. One of my favorite sayings is that customer service isn't a department. It's a philosophy and it's a philosophy that must be embraced by everyone in the organization all the time and that's 24 7. so if customer service is important to you and i know it is then you will love our virtual training the ultimate on-demand customer service and experience training program that you can access anytime anywhere now the course content applies to everyone regardless of position and responsibility from senior executives to the most recently hired and everyone in between 
You'll discover tips, ideas, and strategies that won't cost your company a fortune, but will produce what I call moments of magic, those positive experiences, and it will happen at every level of your organization. So go to Customer Service VT. That's V as in virtual, T as in training. That's CustomerServiceVT.com. It's time to get customer focused. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We are back on Amazing Business Radio. We are talking to Chris Mefford, who is uh, the co-leader of The Culture Force and has also written this amazing book that we've been talking about, Leadership is Overrated. Chris, let's go back into the book. You've shared a great story about Aretha Franklin and how leadership got in the way but obviously, Aretha overcame this and went off on her own and did her own thing. Give us some more tips from the book, ideas from the book that have to do with leadership and how great leaders can create amazing experiences on the front line for customers. Sure. Um, you know, I'll start with just a, a quick stat and then a great story uh, from Watterson's bookstore. First off, we spend almost $300 billion a year worldwide on leadership development. And year after year, survey $300 billion. 300 billion worldwide. And that, that comes from a Gallup survey and data. Um, statistically, I've seen it as low as 166, but it doesn't matter. We spend a lot of money on developing leadership in this country, yet year over year, survey after survey, 80% of the people feel disengaged. And, and most importantly, they they don't like their leader or they, they hate their boss. They don't hate the company necessarily. And so it's it's fascinating to me, what do we get in exchange for all that money being spent? And it's you know not much. Um, and so when we talk about disengagement, really what we're talking about is, hey, how do you get your people to work at their peak? You know, people who aren't fully engaged means that they probably come in late. They don't work really hard and they leave. And so you want people to work at their peak. So uh, as we know, uh, bookstores, you know, Amazon came in and basically trained, changed the way we operate in bookstores altogether. Barnes and Noble and a lot of other bookstores, um, independent bookstores shut down. They didn't know how to compete. Um, James Durant was hired out of England to take over Watterson's bookstores, this, this kind of eclectic, fancy bookstores that were all over England. And he came in and said, you know what, the, the parent company, which he represented, um, has made all these agreements with the publishers. Uh, this is where we're going to put your books if you pay us this much money. Here's the books we're going to push and promote if you pay us this much money. Here are the books we're going to place here if you want this much money. And so they had all these arrangements in place. And basically, the store managers and the workers were just there to you know, run the cash registers, if you will. Um, and so James Durant comes in and he says, we're going to change it because this thing has fallen apart. We're very close to filing for bankruptcy. No one's buying books um, in the bookstores anymore. They're doing it online basically because we ourselves turned this into a commodity. We've given up space and we don't put the best books that's there. And so he got all the managers together and said, hey, how do we fix this? He didn't say, I have the idea, which is what I think leadership is most leaders do, is we think most leaders need to have all the ideas and all the solutions, and, and they just kind of come down from their, their mountaintop and tell everybody what to do. He said to the managers, what do we do? And so he said, okay, we're going to end all these agreements. I don't care what is in place. They're done. As a manager, whatever books are selling in your bookstore and people are asking about the most, I want you to promote those and put those in the prime space. All this little trinkety stuff that's up at the front, these little coffee table books and stuff, put them out. We don't, we're getting rid of them all. We're going back to a bookstore. Um, we want you to hire individuals. I don't care if they have a single bit of retail experience, but all I care about is how well read they are. And I want those people to wander the store and talk to our customers about books. 
And then finally, I want everybody who's written a book and our store that works for us to write a, a review, a handwritten review on a note card. I want you to stick it under the books. Everyone the that's read a book. You, right. Yeah. You said written. Well, uh, whatever books sure. you've read. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yep. so instead of like, so it became a very sincere, genuine, thoughtful place to work. And James Durant said, look, I didn't do any of this. All I did was empower the managers who were on the front line to do what they all knew was right and should be done. But us people up here in corporate, we were too busy trying to strike deals with the publishers to get our money on the back on the front end versus taking care of our customers on the back end. And our customers suffered as a result of that. So I'm going to, I'm going to shut this down and we're going to focus back on our customers, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to empower all the local managers to do this on their own. And I gave them the freedom to run their stores with the parameters of do what you think is best and what is selling and, and talk about it. And things took off. I'll tell you what, it took off so much and it was so successful that somebody noticed Barnes and Noble noticed here in America. And they said, hey, do you want to come work for us and do the same thing? And so they hired James Durant away uh, from Watersons to come here. But the, the message here is, as a leader, your team knows what to do. Your team knows what to do. Get out of their way. And I think a lot of leaders feel like they do that. Uh, Shep, what they, what they really do is they give all the authority. And they think they've told their team that they've given them that. Or rather, they give them the responsibility um, to do it, but they don't give them the authority to make mm. decisions. So those managers were, had the responsibility of running the stores, but they weren't given any authority to do what they knew what was right or how to yeah. fix the problem. And that's where I think the massive disconnect between leaders are and customer service. And that's the fact that you can give a lot of responsibility to someone and, and believe that you've empowered them. But in reality, all you've done is frustrate them. Yeah. So telling what they're responsible for and giving the authority to act on it or Two different things. Great. They all. Uh, this gentleman also did something else. He went to the managers and he said, "What should we do?" He was asking the team, "What What would your best suggestion be?" And it sounds to me like he went back and thought about all the suggestions and chose to do something about some of those suggestions and act on them, which I think is also pretty cool. A lot of people. Uh, I I interviewed about three hundred and some odd. Uh, CEOs of companies. This is many years ago. I got a lot of answers when I asked them, "What do you? What is your number one responsibility? What is it that you do? You've got a job. You're the CEO of a pretty large company. Tell me what it is that you do day in and day out. Oh, I find the deals. I put together the deals. I do this. I do that. One person had a great line. I loved it. I defend the culture. Whoa. In other yeah. words, you make sure everybody's acting on this vision, mission, value statement that's out there. That's the culture of the company. I thought that was a pretty powerful piece. Anything well, in the I book would, about that? Yes, I would even make the case that that's probably one of the most important people in the company. Here's the deal about culture. We talk a lot about it, but very few people do much about it. They might have a pizza party or a barbecue, but that's, you know, or put a ping pong table in, but that's that culture. Whether you focus on the culture or not, it's coming. You have a culture, whether you're intentional about it or not, it, it could potentially be a culture that you hate and it's toxic and you feel like you can't do anything about it, but it exists whether you do anything or not. Your culture gets developed. It's the question of, are you going to be intentional and how are you going to be intentional and what things should you be intentional about and fight for? Um, otherwise, you get these toxic environments that become people are like, well, I'm chasing the deal. I'm chasing the sales. I'm doing that. But the reality is you're creating a workplace that that people hate. And mm -hmm. statistically, we see it time and time again. 
Yeah, I know. And and I love focusing on the positive aspect of everything. I try to stay away from the companies like that. I will mm -hmm. tell you in my entire career of working with different companies, and by the way, we have a whole program on how to create the customer focused culture. Mm -hmm. And we look at companies' mission, vision, and value statements to determine whether or not they have something in there that aligns with what we do. And if they don't, we can't help them because we're not going to change their entire mission and vision statement. Now, we have a new client we're working with that wants us to help craft their vision and mission statement because they feel the one they have isn't any good. Excuse me. And that's beyond the customer service experience focus. We we always look for one sentence that defines what we're trying to create with experience. I use the Ritz-Carlton as my favorite example. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. If you come to work at the Ritz, you know what that means. You're taught. This is how we do it. You're trained, constantly trained. Uh, they sustain it with daily trainings. It's it's pretty amazing. We're just about out of time. I love to wrap the conversation up with what I refer to as the one thing question. By the way, I, I as I prepped you for this interview, I failed to mention that my last question to you is going to be this question, but here it is. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, look at the book and think about it. What's one nugget of information that you want to share with our listeners that will get them so excited about going back to work, uh, creating this great, amazing culture that'll get their people on the front line to take care of their customers. And let's make it a tip that comes straight out of the book. So we entice them to buy the book as well. You bet. You bet. I think the the biggest tip is is two things. If I can say, you know, answer your one question with two, two suggestions. You can do three. That's um, the kind okay. of guy I am. It's good. Is one is one we've hit on. Your team is desperate for acknowledgement. And when you pour into your team and invest into your team, your team will pour into your customers and clients. And when you don't acknowledge your team and you don't pour into them and you're not doing it to the point where you're almost obnoxious, then they're not going to do the same for your customers or clients. And so this idea that you know, you should be happy you have a job or you work here. It's just a terrible idea. It's a terrible strategy. You need to go in and tell your team, if, if you're not very good verbally, write it down, send them a car, write them a note, send them an email, whatever it might be, Tell do it in a staff meeting. People want to feel encouraged. And if you do that, you'll see them pour into your team even more so. They'll be excited to get into the office every day. They'll be excited to work. And then the biggest thing um, I like to throw it there. It's probably one of the reasons, you know, we talk about the chef. Why doesn't everybody do this? If this generates revenue and at least the happier team members and happier team members generate more um, opportunities and, and they think they're more innovative. And so why doesn't everybody do it? Well, the truth of the matter is because it takes time. It takes emotional capital. You, you know, if I just tell you something to do, that doesn't take much. But I have to pour into you and tell you good job and concentrate on what you're doing. It takes emotional capital and it becomes a little bit of exhausting. And so a lot of people just pull out after a while. But the truth of the matter is you don't become a Navy SEAL in, in one week of hell. You become a Navy SEAL over two years of consistent training and development. And so we're always looking for this get rich quick scheme. Hey, how do I do this quickly? How do I show up tomorrow and fix it? The truth of the matter is you have to be committed to this and you have to be committed to focusing on sales, focusing on service, focusing on your team. And then and only then will you start to see transitions happen within your culture and your organization that will be transformative and you'll hit your goals and you hit your revenue structures in a way that you never thought was possible. Wow. I love it. And so the first one, acknowledgement makes total sense. The second one is a commitment, recognizing it's not going to take a moment. It's going to take many moments, sometimes in the Navy SEAL world, as long as two years to turn out that elite 
uh, performer uh, who's you know there to protect us and serve us our, and serve our country. So, by the way, love love your ideas. Um, I love the book. The title of the book again, it's Leadership is Overrated by Kyle Bucket and Chris Mefford. Chris, you have been an amazing guest. This is why we call this Amazing Business Radio. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chef. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode, and we will be back next week with another interview. So please tune back in. And until that time, this is Chef Hike and reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>